Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning on this gorgeous spring day. I think this is as close as we're going to get to spring here in Louisiana. I am glad to see all of you here, whether you are joining us in person or online. We are grateful to have your presence here this morning. I want to say a special word of welcome to any of you who are visiting with us. We are particularly honored by your presence and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. If you need instructions for how we do communion, that is in your order of worship, or just follow the person in front of you. They won't lead you wrong. A couple of announcements for you this morning. Uh, the first is tonight is our uh, bi-monthly business meeting, uh, preceded by potluck. Uh, of course, business meetings are never the most interesting things we do as a church, but they are very important. Tonight's meeting is no exception, as we will be uh, going over and voting on the uh, updates, revisions to the bylaws. Um, so I do hope uh, you will make plans to be here for that. I also want to highlight our racial justice group that is meeting on the 20th. Um, this is open to anyone who would like to come and participate. This is a restarting of this group since COVID. Um, so it is not a closed group. If you would like to come, please do so. We would love to have you involved in that effort. And then you will also see the upcoming Holy Week events and Easter. And we are to that time when there's going to be a lot of church coming up. With those things said, uh, I want to remind you to please pass the worship registry down your row so we have a record of who's here with us this morning. Um, write your name, draw a picture, whatever you need to do. We just like to know who is here with us uh, and be able to fully celebrate your presence. With that said, I think that is everything, unless I'm forgetting anything. Let's take a deep breath together. We take this deep breath to transition from our regular lives and all of the things that go on on a day-to-day -day basis into our worship lives. Worship is a special, precious time. At most, we worship an hour a week, maybe more if it's Holy Week. So this time that we have together is unique. It's something we will hopefully look forward to. It's something that we make a habit of doing by coming and being here together every week. So take a deep breath. Allow that breath not only to fill your lungs, allow it to fill your whole body, let it clear your head, let it calm your heart and quiet your mind. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out distraction, breathe out any sort of thought that you aren't good enough to be here in worship before God. And then let us worship together. We're going to begin with something special. Hopefully most of you can see this box here next to me. It is very heavy. I'm not going to try to pick it up. It is full of crackers and antibacterial wipes and socks and toilet paper. All the sorts of things that folks in need can't easily get their hands on. And this, as well as a remarkable amount of other things, were donated by uh, our new friend, Jeff. Jeff, would you wave to everybody, just so they know who you are? This is Jeff. He's new with us. Um, came here from McGuire over in West Monroe. Uh, lots going on in the United Methodist Church. We need to support our friends in. But Jeff has brought himself 
and the blessing of his presence to us. And this morning, it takes the form of physical things because all of these items in this box and in the back nursery room, which I hope you'll all go take a look at, are uh, going to be given to the Renewal Center. These are all things that are going to go to people in need. And we are highlighting this not because Jeff wanted to toot his own horn. In fact, he said to me, I'm not interested in tooting my own horn, but to lift them up as a blessing for the people who will receive them. Now, we fill our mission trunk every month. I don't want anyone to think that we don't celebrate the things that you give sacrificially every month. This is about remembering and thinking about the blessing that something as simple as a pair of socks can be. This is about celebrating the fact that Jeff, who is new to our congregation, wanted to share this through Northminster because he saw this as something that we share in common with him, which he's passionate about. This is about celebrating our ability through connections in the community, through a willingness to give sacrificially month after month, through all of the different ways that we serve, that we can help others with something as easy and as small as a pair of socks. So I want to offer a word of blessing. I want to offer a word of blessing for Jeff being part of our community. I want to offer a word of blessing for all of you who give in our mission trunk every month. But most of all, I want to offer a word of blessing for the people who we will never see, we will never know, we will potentially never come in contact with, whose lives will be made even just a little bit better by these things and the things that we are able to share every single month. So let's take a moment and let's pray. Dear God, we thank you not only for Jeff and for his resources and for the connections that made this wonderful donation possible, but that you make us people who know the importance of giving and helping others, not because it makes us better, not because it makes us feel good, even though it does, but because even small things can be a blessing to people that we don't even see. We thank you that you allow us to sometimes be sacrificial, to give of what we have, but most of all, we thank you that even in simple things, we can make someone else's life better because it is through your love and your generosity and your teachings about loving others that we do these things. We ask your blessing and your support and your protection on all of the people who will benefit from these specific donations. We also ask you to help us to remember that we don't do this out of the kindness of our heart. We do this because even the least of these are your children, our sisters and brothers in faith. And we are here to serve them, to serve each other, and to serve you. We pray these things, we ask this blessing in your name. Amen. And now if you would, open your order of worship and join me in our call to worship. Here, I'll share it with you. Are you awake and alert? Christ is 
Are you watching the signs? Do you see the opportunities for ministry? Do you see the poor, the homeless, the hungry, those in need? Come, let us worship and let us work in the reign of God. my young friends. There's lots of you today. I'm so glad to see you all. So I have a special book I want to read together today, okay? 
You might have, I don't know if any of you have seen this one before. It's called We're All Wonders. Has anybody seen this book before? It's really special. I want to share it with you. I know I'm not an ordinary kid. Sure, I do ordinary things. I ride a bike. I eat ice cream. I play ball. I just don't look ordinary. I don't look like the other kids. You see how our little friend looks different? He only has one eye. And not two. Sometimes they stare at me. They point or laugh. They even say things behind my back, but I can hear them. Sometimes the other kids aren't very nice to our friend. It hurts my feelings. It hurts Daisy's feelings, too. Do you see his dog? His dog is Daisy, and she's even sad. When that happens, I put on my helmet, and Daisy and I, I put, I put Daisy's helmet on, too. And then, you all see? Blast off. Up, up, up through the clouds. Across the galaxy. All the way to Pluto. We say hello to old friends. See how Daisy is saying hello to all the little aliens? From far away, the earth looks so small, I can't see any people, but I know they're there. Billions of people. People of all different colors. People who walk and talk differently. People who look different, like me. The earth is big enough for all kinds of people. He's not an alien. I know I can't change the way I look, but maybe... Just maybe. People can change the way they see. If they do, they'll see I'm a wonder. And they'll see that they're wonders too. We're all wonders. Look with kindness and you will always see, you will always find wonder. Now, I read you this book because each and every one of you are also wonders, as are all of you sitting out there. Your wonders, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter how your body looks, it doesn't matter what you're good at, what you're not so good at, it doesn't matter. You are wonders because you were created by God. God made each and every one of you. God made you special. God made you unique. And sometimes our unique things can make it hard for us to get along, right? 
If somebody's missing an eye, we might look at them. We might catch our attention, and we don't mean to stare, but sometimes we do. But the thing is, we have to remember that all of us have things that are different about us. And it's not a great thing for us to be mean to other people if they look different or they act different or they talk different. The thing for us to do is to be kind, to be patient, to love each other, and to learn about each other. Things aren't nearly as scary or as weird if we learn about them. Things aren't nearly as frightening if we are familiar with them. So what I want you to think about is not only the fact that you yourself are a wonder, just the way you are right now, but so is everybody else. Every single other person you come in contact with is special and unique and was made by God. Now, that can be hard to remember when someone's not being very nice to us, right? But even when someone's not very nice, or when they hurt our feelings, or when they're not particularly kind, they're still important. And we need to work as kids and even as adults to try to be as kind and compassionate and loving to those people as possible. It's not easy, but all of us are wonders and all of us are created by God. Okay? Now what I want you to do is turn around, face the adults. We're going to say our prayer. Remember, you're leading this. I want you to sit down on your bottoms, nice and tall. Sit down on your bottom, face the adults. Now, you're leading this, so I should hear kids, but adults, you're welcome to join in. I'll say the first line. You say back to me nice and loud. I see the face of God in you. I see the love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you.
A reading from Psalm chapter 43. O send out your light and your truth, and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling, and then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. A word from the psalmist for us today. Thanks be to God. God. Friends, let's pray together. Your wisdom is beyond us, O God, but we still try to understand. Your timing is different than we would prefer, but we still try to be both patient and prepared. Your justice turns our sense of fairness upside down, but we still try to carry out your will. We thank you for the reminder that you are God and we are not. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful in what you give us, Lord, to do. We hold in your light today those who have waited long for justice, whose hope wanes and spirits faint. May your day come and soon when they hear good news. We hold in your light today those who must navigate the world on their own who have no one to advise or nurture or challenge them. May your beloved community enfold them in grace and growth. We hold in your light today those who have been shut out and those who have had closed doors for safety reasons and for selfish ones. May your healing welcome, expand, and transform their lives. We hold in your light today those people in places where violence, hunger, and climate change make it impossible to look forward or plan. Those whose lives must be lived moment by moment with fear and grief, seeming to have the upper hand. May your peace fill each corner of the earth and each heart. We hold in your light today those who have followed you faithfully and yet grow weary as the day and years go on and progress seems far off. May your day come and soon when your will is done on the earth. Reveal yourself, loving God, as the one who creates a new thing, starting from today and moving us forward into the future you intend. We ask these things and all things in the name of Christ, in whom your fullness dwells. Amen.
A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those young women got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other young women came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. People have been predicting the end of the world for millennia. Arguably, the first person to do so was Simon bar Giora a Jewish Essene who predicted a Jewish uprising against the Romans from 66 to 70 CE would bring about the arrival of the Messiah. Hilary of Poitiers, oh, my French is terrible, I apologize. An early French bishop announced the end of the world in 356 CE. Hippolytus of Rome, Sextus Julianus Africanus, and Iranius, an early church father, all predicted Jesus would return in 500 CE based on the dimensions of the ark. I don't understand how that math works, but that's what they were doing. 793, 800, 847, 995, the year 1000, 1033, 1284, 1346, 1528. These are all dates. Various men have predicted that the world would end. And the list goes on and on and on. In more modern times, Herbert W. Armstrong, founder of the Worldwide Church of God, predicted the rapture in 1936 and told his church members that they were the only ones who would be saved. Of course. 
When the date came and went, he unsuccessfully predicted the rapture three more times. Now, one woman amongst this list, Elizabeth Clare Prophet, what a great name, predicted nuclear war would start on April 23, 1990, and end 12 years later, causing her followers to stockpile weapons and supplies. And perhaps most recently, David Mead, a Christian conspiracy theorist, was quoted as saying that the world would end on April 23, 2018. When the date came and went, he clarified, saying this, The rapture will occur at some point between May and December of 2018, but even the rapture will not signify the end of the world, but merely bring in seven years of tribulation followed by a thousand years of peace and prosperity before the world is destroyed. So the world isn't ending anytime soon, in our lifetimes anyway. Certainly quite a few of these folks were sincere in their predictions. They weren't trying to fleece anyone, as perhaps the more cynical among us tend to believe. And I don't ever want to make fun of sincere belief, even if I don't share it, whether that's doomsday or apocalyptic predictions, because most of us would roll our eyes at this. And the reality is, despite the eschatological, it's a fancy seminary word for things relating to the end times, eschatological, Despite those themes in Jesus' teaching, an obvious belief by many New Testament authors that Jesus would be returning soon, we have either completely missed Christ's return, possible, or no one knows for sure when Jesus is coming back. Jesus even says in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 38, the chapter right before today's reading, he says this, But concerning the day or hour, no one knows, even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were aware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man." So the question becomes, what does it mean to wait when you know there's more to come? When you know something significant is going to happen? What does it look like to live in the now and the not yet? In an in-between time, the biblical writers could not have anticipated. Promises have been made. They've been made to us of, of goodness and piety and plenty inclusivity and justice of God's kingdom. But we can all agree that even with the best parts of our world, we are not living in the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be alert and attentive? In today's parable, another one that might give you pause the next time you go to a wedding, it means not forgetting your oil. Now, what comes to mind when you imagine the bridesmaid's lamps? I picture a kerosene lamp or a brass lamp with a handle. Not a great light source um, compared to an electric lamp, but serviceable, right? More than likely, however, the bridesmaid's lamps uh, are small, made of clay, slightly teardrop-shaped, and they kind of fit in the palm of your hand. If you ever want... an accurate representation of these, go to the Biedenharn Bible Museum. There's a whole display. 
You can see uh, examples of the Biedenhorn because their size is small. They're in a case. You can see them. But because of that small size, the wick on these, these lamps has to be trimmed very carefully to avoid smokingness and using the oil up too fast. And it's important to clarify that weddings in Jesus' time were quite different. Formal promises of commitment and property had already been made. Those were made during the betrothal. The wedding is a more casual affair, typically marked by a big celebration and a meal, in which the groom and his attendants would come to the home of the bride's parents and take the bride along with her attendants in a bridal procession back to the parents' home where the wedding celebration would begin. There are no rings given, there are no vows exchanged, this is not a modern wedding. But participants are escorted, and the groom in today's parable is late. So late, all the bridesmaids sent out to meet him have fallen asleep. Finally, arriving at midnight, the groom shows up and the bridesmaids are called for. It is time for them to trim their lamps, again, so they avoid smokiness and using all their oil, and escort him to the wedding feast. Five of them were wise enough to bring extra oil, but five have not. And rather than sharing that extra oil, those five well-prepared bridesmaids, they won't do that. They tell their less-prepared counterparts to just go buy more oil. Now, don't get sidetracked by the very good question of where could you find oil at midnight? That's not part of the parable. Remember, parables do not play by logical rules. But off go the bridesmaids, search of oil. But they take too long. And in the meantime, the other five bridesmaids have done their job. When the five oil-less bridesmaids eventually catch up with their counterparts and with the groom, it's too late. The feast is already in full swing, and the groom refuses to let them in, refuses to respond to their cry, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he says to them, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Now, as with a lot of Jesus' parables, this sounds harsh pretty harsh response, especially for something as simple as being a little forgetful, for not planning ahead. And as commentator Elizabeth Johnson points out, the parable is troubling because there doesn't seem to be any grace in it. The bridegroom, who, remember, is late in the first place, has no mercy on the foolish bridesmaids. And the wise bridesmaids show no mercy to their unwise friends. Haven't we all been guilty of poor planning at times? Haven't we all found ourselves on the wrong side of a locked door? Jesus' point with this story, which comes in a series of parables about the end of the age and the coming of man, is not that we must literally stay awake for hours waiting for his return. All of the bridesmaids fell asleep, not just the foolish ones. His point is for us to avoid distraction. The oil in this story is only a means to an end. And it's because of their distraction from the task of meeting the groom and escorting the bridal party that the five without oil are called foolish. Preoccupied with details, the five bridesmaids without oil fail to see that this is a lesser thing. In their last-minute focus on the minutiae, They fail to see that they are missing the feast. 
in their effort to provide what they don't have, they get left behind. One of the the commentators I routinely spend the week with, thinking about what they offer, said something I think is especially apt. One of the greatest challenges of the life of discipleship is the tyranny of the ordinary. One of the greatest challenges of the life of discipleship is the tyranny of the ordinary. There is a grayness to waiting on Jesus. Much like the grayness of a January sky when Christmas is over and Easter is far away, waiting for what Christ will do not only makes falling asleep easy, it makes complacency and distraction even easier. We know, we know our call is to be prepared for Jesus to return, but how do we do that when such a coming not only seems far off, it feels downright unlikely? How do we talk about preparing for the coming of Christ without sounding like the folks who see the rapture around every corner? What does it take to have the vital sense of the one who is promised and to maintain ongoing vitality that keeps the life of faith alive and kindled? It takes feeding the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting those in prison. It takes doing for the least of these and seeing the face of Christ in everyone we encounter. The good news this morning is that being ready for Jesus takes the form of active discipleship, of making the effort to love those with whom we disagree, of building and maintaining relationships that aren't convenient or easy, of working for the justice of God even if people don't appreciate our efforts. Active discipleship is practicing spiritual disciplines that people of faith have been doing for centuries. Prayer, fasting, fellowship, simplicity, stewardship. And at the moment when the Son of Man comes in all his glory, active discipleship, our call as people, what motivates us and kindles our hearts will not be the command, don't forget your oil, but the invitation, come walk with us. There is plenty of light. Come walk alongside the one who came to give light to us all. Amen.
Before I offer the benediction, I want to say thank you to our choir and our choral scholars. It was wonderful. And Justin, my goodness, fire in those fingers this morning. And now hear this benediction. Whatever wilderness the Spirit has brought you to, walk in boldness as a beloved child of God. Walk in peace under the shelter of the eternal. Walk in faith, knowing Christ walks with you. And go be salty. Amen. Oh. Uh.